This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Navigating the last almost two years of COVID-19 has been difficult, especially for young families. Restrictions on visitors, health services, everything online and lockdowns has made life almost unbearably hard. But now there's a vaccine. And with numbers pushing closer and closer to the percentage needed to allow relaxation of restrictions, some of us are going to face a new challenge. Our children under 12 aren't able to be vaccinated. So what does that mean to families who face the dilemma of wanting to get out and about, wanting to visit friends and family, but yet still keep children safe? Is there advice for families? And how worried do we need to be if our children are going to catch COVID-19? Joining us today on Baby Talk is Australia's Commonwealth Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer, Professor Alison McMillan. Alison, it's great to talk to you again. What do we need to know? Sydney and Melbourne, the biggest cities that have been in lockdown for quite a few weeks, are about to open doors and things are going to start to get back to normal and we've got the wonderful inclusion of a vaccine that will keep most of us safe but there are going to be a lot of families who have children under the age of 12 and I suspect that they're going to be quite worried round about now. Yes I think that we all are are definitely ready to see our society open back up and I think both well, all governments, including ACT, where um, have talked about this staged approach to reopening. We're seeing that change in New South Wales as their vaccination numbers do increase in an incredibly good rate, and we really are, you know, very grateful for everyone who's who's stepped forward, as we say, to get first and second doses. But yes, we're going to continue to see things open up and we're going to see, most importantly, children returning to school. I'm very pleased to see that happen. But what's the modelling for children under the age of 12 that can't be vaccinated yet? So let's start with children under 12 who, as as yet in Australia, don't have... There's no vaccine approved yet anywhere in the world for children under 12. That doesn't mean to say that there isn't enormous work going on across the world to very carefully and safely do the studies on children to look at where and how we might administer a vaccine to children. So as you certainly will probably have heard, TGA has began to look at the vaccine for children aged 5 to 11 and have invited Pfizer to grant them the permission to approach. It's a very detailed process that TGA go through and, and it has protected us and it's, it's been our, a major part of our vaccine safety program for a very long time. And so they will take a very careful approach to looking at what and when Pfizer submit in relation to their data and then look at, at the information about clinical trials from across the world and then, um, giving this priority but still taking very time to effectively evaluate the data. They'll look at where to from here um, in, in relation to vaccine being approved for use for then 5 to 11. But that still leaves most of the families that would sort of fit the baby talk audience, which is really under three. What's the plan for vaccinating babies and under threes? 
Look, I think that's, again, I'm not aware of any trials anywhere in the world that are looking at vaccination for anyone under under five. It may be that at some point in the future, the vaccine producers may do that. But I think there's some things that we need to remember. So children are less likely to get infected. They're less likely to get severe disease and they're less likely to transmit. And so we need to keep that in mind when considering the decision-making around vaccination of the very younger um, population. Children who do get infected, the majority of them have very mild or in fact no symptoms whatsoever. If they do get symptoms, it tends to be that that we see in cold, so fever, runny nose, sore throat, cough, diarrhea, lethargy and those sort of things. And that's even with the Delta variant? That's even with the Delta variant, yes. Yep. Some babies, perhaps the very, very young, are at a higher risk, but we all know the important measures we need to take to protect very young babies anyway, and they are just as important in, in the context of COVID as they are, in fact, with, with all transmissible diseases. So we want to remind everyone about how you can take those measures to reduce the risk to children. And, and that, of course, is to encourage anyone in the household where a baby is, is vaccinated and, and, and certainly all household members and people who come to visit. You should be really very careful in considering exposing your baby to anyone who's unvaccinated. And then, then all of the things that we've learned over these last 20 months about washing your hands. These are things you should do with any new babies, you know, being very careful about food preparation and bottles, physical distancing when you're out, um, wearing a mask and, and, you know, those things around cough etiquette and those sort of things that we've become so familiar with. Uh, we need to reinforce those because I'm fearful that we might, as we begin to open society, become a little more complacent around some of these things. Alison, are you able to tell us what are the hospitalisation rates at the moment in places like Sydney and Melbourne where the Delta variant is is moving around. I mean, how many children under the age of three are in hospital or have been hospitalised because of getting COVID-19? Okay, so I've, I've got some figures and perhaps I can use. So figures from early June this year to almost to where we are now, which is uh, to, the, to the end of September, only 6% of the children who were diagnosed with COVID were hospitalised. So uh, a, small, a small proportion, a very small proportion of the children who had COVID were, were required hospitalisation. And children under five made up the, the, the largest proportion of those children um, in who required hospitalisation. That's relatively similar to the sort of figures we saw from the beginning of the pandemic in January of 2020, um, where it was largely the non-Delta. However, I, I need to just say that the, the challenge with the hospitalisation in children is just a little, a little difficult to um, inter not interpret, but we need to be cautious and understand that sometimes children have been hospitalised for reasons other than the severe COVID, um, particularly if it's for social reasons so that they can be near 
if their parents have needed to be hospitalised, then it may be that the children are hospitalised as well. So we need to keep that in mind. And the other thing is that there's a delay in some of our data. Obviously, it takes time to get to us. But So that, that's the figures we have now. So we're not, as I say, reiterating, we've not seen a, a big increase. We've not seen, in fact, an increase in, in children's hospitalizations between earlier this year and last year with when it was Delta and non-Delta. And their numbers are very small. And those may be as a result, of course, for other reasons other than severe disease requiring children to be hospitalized. Has this modelling or this understanding of how COVID-19 affects the under threes, is, is that taken into account when the decisions are made to open up in spite of COVID being in a city like Sydney or Melbourne? Not, not relative to, to that part of the population. The modelling that's done is done on a population basis and it looks at a whole range of variables around the number of cases you might see, the number of hospitalizations, and the number of cases that are likely to need intensive care. We then also look at the modeling based on the proportion of the population that's vaccinated. So of course, for all of us, the greatest message is that if you've not taken the, the decision to get vaccinated yet, now is the time to do it. Because as you've seen, all of the jurisdictions and in fact the roadmap and opening up Australia is based on those vaccination rates and what that impact has on hospitalisations and the number of people in intensive care is very strongly related to the vaccine rates. So as we see 70% two doses and 80% two doses, we see those change, changes in what's permissible among society. Do you get any sort of feedback on young parents or parents of young families getting vaccinated? Are they high up in the group of getting vaccinated because they've only had access really to getting it over the last few weeks? Uh, well, parents of young children have probably now wide availability of vaccine has, has, has extensively increased in, in I'd, I'd say, perhaps many more months than weeks. Okay. And we've also seen, to give you an, an example of the amazing uptake that we've seen, you know, we're already seeing more than 55% of the 12 to 15-year-olds already having their first dose. So as soon as the first dose became available to those 12 to 15-year-olds, they were off and running. So 690,000 have already been administered to that group. So I think that we're seeing um, the younger population, this now obviously there's probably some parental influence on that. And I think that's important also, Penny, as, as you and I have spoken before, around pregnancy. So in our younger age group, those that are, are planning or are pregnant, the very strong message, if you're planning a pregnancy, if you are pregnant, then please do get vaccinated. It's now strongly recommended because it will protect you and it will protect your baby because we've seen as the data has grown that in fact that the impact on pregnant women and, and babies is, is significant if they do contract COVID. So a very important part of protecting children is getting vaccinated ourselves as adults. We did speak to Associate Professor Ryan Hodges from Monash Health 
who was saying that there is some evidence that immunity gets passed on from the mother during breastfeeding and also while the baby's in utero. That's correct. So we're saying yeah, evidence of, of protection through the placenta, which is terrific, and then also through... Obviously, we know the, the benefits of, of breastfeeding, if that's something that, that works for a mother. And we see the um, added improvement, you know, the, the benefit of immunity that a, a baby receives from breast milk. A lot of younger parents have been unpopular by suggesting that older members of their family needed to get a whooping cough vaccine before they get to come and hold the the grand baby do you think that making that insistence that visitors have the COVID-19 vaccine is reasonable well we certainly did I mean anecdotally as I understand it's been suggested that that momentum from the whooping cough that the requirement to get a whooping cough vaccination before you can see the new grandchild had had a major influence and that's very positive however I think the proportion of vaccination amongst the um, I won't call it older because it probably fits in my age group, but we're seeing more than 90% of the over 50s are protected with the first dose. A lot of the, the older age group that would be in the probably parents and grandparents groups now, uh, we're seeing significantly higher levels of vaccination. But look, definitely, if there's someone in your family who isn't, who's choose, chosen up to now not to get vaccinated, it is really important that you encourage them to get the most up-to-date and reliable advice about vaccination, vaccination safety, and, and you may choose. It's really up to you if you perhaps suggest to them that it would be best to do that before they see your new baby. That might help motivate them to go and get vaccinated. When I was looking at the questions to ask you about immunising small children and babies. I was starting to get a bit worried about asking about the development of a vaccine for babies, but then we actually do vaccinate babies against a lot of things pretty routinely. We do, we do, that's right. So we vaccinate children between 0 and 4 to 14 different diseases. Some of these diseases are, you know, now in our society incredibly rare. And being a child of the 60s, I remember how terrible some of these these things were that we simply no longer see. And I think particularly of whooping cough and having been, a, you know, worked in paediatric wards over, over the years as a nurse, a child with whooping cough is, is definitely one of the most distressing things you can, a child, you can ever nurse a child with. So we're incredibly successful in Australia with our national immunisation programme. You know, we see very high levels of uptake and that programme is a terrific one free, available to, to everyone and an important part of protecting our children from some, as I say, some of these really quite awful diseases. If you were a parent of a baby or an under three-year-old, would you have any hesitancy about moving forward in the next few weeks, returning to, say, childcare or, or kindergarten? Would you feel unsafe that your children weren't vaccinated? I think that the best way to protect children is for the adults to get vaccinated and then for obviously those things that are now part of what we do making sure that obviously if a child's sick then they shouldn't go to childcare, kinder school or whatever and the same for adults you know we we need to remember if we're sick stay home get tested irrespective of even if you have been vaccinated if you are sick still do get tested because you can still contract COVID even though you're vaccinated we know although the likelihood of you getting severe disease or uh, requiring hospitalization is a lot less you want to make sure that the the kinder the 
Early Childhood Learning Centre or, or whatever it is, has, has all the necessary arrangements in place to protect children. So it's reasonable to ask them what their COVID plans are and get a clear understanding about how, as a parent, you can contribute to that COVID safe plan to ensure that all children are provided with the, the best protection. And, and of course, that does include those who work in these facilities in many of the jurisdictions needing to get vaccinated. And children really do usually, all things being normal as possible, do tend to bounce back from this illness? Yes, there is some reports. So I won't hide away from that. There are uh, some reports of a very, very rare condition, a, a, a paediatric inflammatory multi-system syndrome. Sorry, it's a big, yes. very technical term, but these are very, very rare. It's very rare that we've seen this, but it has been reported. It causes many of the things we see in children anywhere, fever, rash, upset tummy. It's very rare, as I say, but very treatable with prompt medical care. So that there are, as I say, a number of children have had this reported, but it has been in a small number of children, this inflammatory condition. It appears about two to six weeks after a COVID infection, and it's, it's, as I say, very rare, but it's very treatable with prompt medical care. Everyone's talking about going to the pub, but I'm sure that there's uh, lots of parents that are, are looking forward to doing things like going in to see an obstetrician face-to-face or doing the birthing classes or breastfeeding classes and really sort of getting back to that wonderful sort of hands-on. We're going to start to see the health system open up a bit now that vaccination numbers are really up. I, th- I think each of those things will, will depend on the nature of where they are in the country. Obviously, there are some parts of the country where there's no community transmission, where we're certainly seeing um, those, those continue as normal. In, in some of the major cities such as, as Melbourne and, uh, and Sydney, obviously, there are much greater restrictions to going to some of those, these things right now. But, but many, many providers have found new and innovative ways of doing these. We all have learned to do work online and those sort of things. Obviously, at some point, we will see a return to, to many of those more person-to-person approaches, but I think they're taking a, a very cautious, cautious approach to some of those because you want to keep the system protected as much as you can. And, and we are concentrating a lot of our health services at the moment towards treating those in hospital with or in the community with COVID right now. So, yeah, we will begin to see those things in the future, but it really depends on on where in the country you are right now and and what the restrictions are. I think the one thing, Penny, that that we need to emphasise, and I I realise, and and you've mentioned it already, about parents' perhaps concerns or reluctance for children to return to school or to return to early learning, but we do know that the, the evidence is very strong of how important they are to a child's development. And so my message is essentially to to encourage you to look to all of the advice about how to keep your children well and safe, but also understand the importance of these things in their development and their childhood development and needing to make sure that they can access them so that they can progress because we definitely want to see kids back at school because it's great for them and and probably it's good for mums and dads too for them to to have some time to themselves as well. I know many of my colleagues who are child homeschooling are looking forward to uh, the kids going back to school. Yeah, absolutely. We just want to know that it's definitely safe. That's right. So the things I've talked about, again, 
the best way to protect children is for the adults, for all of those who can, everyone over 12, to get vaccinated. Take all those precautions I've talked about, about maintaining the COVID-safe approaches that we've known now for such a long time. And they're the things that will help protect you and your child. And, and that's against, you know, the importance of getting back to school so that they can thrive for the future. Professor Alison McMillan, Australia's Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer. And what we might expect when we start to open up and live with COVID-19 circulating in our community. Great advice about getting everyone who's eligible to be vaccinated to keep us all safe. If you still have questions about being pregnant and getting the vaccine, two weeks ago on Baby Talk, we spoke to one of Australia's leading perineonatologists, obstetrician and doctor in charge of high-risk pregnancies at Melbourne's Monash Health. Associate Professor Ryan Hodges had this advice. The problem is pregnancy is the risk factor. So yes, it's more likely if women who are pregnant have got diabetes, high blood pressure, overweight, they're smoking, that kind of thing. Yeah, they're more likely to have more severe disease. But even just being pregnant on its own makes you a high-risk group. We are in the middle of a very severe pandemic and being pregnant, unfortunately, places you at higher risk that you're going to need to come to hospital. And if you're going to need to come to hospital, you're going to need some treatments and you, you know, there's a likelihood that you can be quite unwell and you may need to be born early and more likely to have a caesarean section and all, all of those things. You can download that episode from iTunes, from the ABC Listen app and on the Baby Talk website. And you can find that podcast by searching Baby Talk, one word, in your search engine. And there's the opportunity to share either of these episodes to anyone who you think might need to know more about COVID-19 and their family. I'm Penny Johnston, and I will see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.